Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best-selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of shit for us to talk about. So stop making excuses and let's get started because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Tapper. Okay, here we go. Number 66. Well, wow. I'm John Taffer. This is my No Excuses podcast. And it's, wow, middle of September, buddy. Yeah. S- summer is over for sure. Temperature's broken. It's about 85 here in Vegas. It's nice to be home. Just finished another Bar Rescue, finished a three-episode run in Albuquerque, taking a week off. I'm uh, heading to New York, actually, uh, this weekend, going to Atlanta, working on our uh, first Taffer Tavern franchise in Atlanta. Very excited about that. We have uh, franchises coming up soon in Atlanta, Long Island, Fur Boroughs of New York, New Jersey. Orange County in California, and of course Las Vegas. We're pretty excited about that. So we have all this activity going on around Taffer's Tavern. So I'm pretty excited. We're heading to Atlanta from here. Then I go to New York, Corey, for a media tour for Taffer's Carbonated Craft Cocktails. Oh, that's exciting. I'm really well. You tasted them. We talked about it a little last week. So yeah, I the- created a a cocktail, a craft carbonated cocktail, in essence, an alcoholic seltzer. We've been working on the tastes and the flavors now for, for close to a year. And this is the follow-up product to Taffer's Mixologist, which is doing great, by the way. It's available in Walmarts all across the country. We have, let me see if I can remember more, Corey. We have seven flavors. Pina Colada, Strawberry Margarita, Regular Margarita, Skinny Margarita, Cosmopolitan, Mojito, and Bloody Mary. I did it. Yep, that's it. So uh, they're available at your local Walmart, and and, uh, they're kicking butts. So thank you, everybody. So I'm doing a media tour. I'm going to do Fox, MSNBC. I'm doing a bunch of TV shows, a bunch of radio shows. It's a media tour in New York. So I'll be in New York this weekend, then early next week. Then I go to L.A., do a media tour there. And uh, then as soon as I'm done with that, Corey, go right back to Bar Rescue. Got six more to do this year, uh, and we're going to go to Northern California. And finish those six. Then we'll take a break for the holidays. And son of a gun, we're doing 28 more next year, which is incredible to me. So we did post, because everybody wanted us to, so all our Bar Rescue recipes are now live on johntaffer.com slash Bar Rescue. And if there's any cocktail recipe from an episode, go there. Check it out. We're going to keep posting them there. Uh, so that you guys can uh, have fun with these. Some of them are really, really good. Still one of my favorites. All these years later, Corey, is still the resurrection in New Orleans. And Brad and Steve at Spirits on Bourbon in New Orleans, they had to buy a warehouse. They sell about 16,000 resurrections a month. That's a lot of skull cups. Yeah. So, they, so they had to buy a warehouse for it. So uh, uh, interesting time in this whole Area 51 thing. So I guess the number I read was up to like 2 million. People are going to have some massive numbers, going to make Woodstock look like nothing. And uh, the creator pulls out of his own festival and cancels it. 
and says that he didn't want a fire fest kind of thing. And those of you might remember fire festival was that event down in the islands that was supposed to be the greatest music and arts event of all time. And people went down there for leaky, terrible tents and it was a scam and there were lawsuits and people were at risk and health uh, uh, threats and all sorts of stuff. So he just canceled it. And, And it's interesting how one person on social media today, Corey, can create this entire thing. So he creates this premise that people have to go see this. There's an alien in there. There's a spaceship in there. We're all going to see this. So this guy caused millions of people online to react this way. Oh, and the military. And the military, right. And they're going to they're gonna protect it right. and all, all this posturing. And, and now at the push of a button, he just says, nope, I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. So does that mean that everybody else has to listen to him and not go? I'm curious to see what happens. Yeah. Why wouldn't somebody say, well, just because this guy's not going, we still want to see what's in there. Let's go anyway. It's just interesting how some person that nobody really knows can turn the switch on and then turn the switch off. It's fascinating. You know, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the 9-11, of course. And, you know, I was thinking about it a lot this morning. And, of course, it's been a week and, and still reflecting on it. And remembering the day that that building fall and watching it on the news and, you know, remembering what, what divisiveness causes. And divisiveness causes things like that. And it's a reminder when I was thinking about it how, you know, we can't let divisiveness take us over to the point that things like that happen. But looking back at 9-11 is always an emotional thing. So this week we have a a bunch of stuff going on. Uh, But before I get going, don't forget to hit subscribe at Apple Podcasts or go to podcastone.com or the Podcast One app and you'll get your new episodes when, Corey? Every Tuesday. Every Tuesday. And we've just crossed 3,250,000 downloads. We're kicking butt, man. It's amazing. So you a big football fan, Corey? I am, yeah. So it's pretty exciting. We're seeing the Raider Stadium come up here in Vegas. It's freaking beautiful, man. So next year we have the Raiders here in Vegas. Pretty darn exciting. And some people are saying it might become the most valuable sports franchise in the world because of its location here. And we'll see. We'll see what kind of media deals happen and all the other packages. But it's really incredibly exciting. And football is here. So if you're looking to add some excitement, you can make BetDSI your betting partner. You can use BetDSI's live betting platform where you can watch all the events and even bet all the games till the final whistle. And new members get a 100% bonus match. That's pretty cool. A 100% bonus match using promo code TAFFER101. That's double your money to start winning today. And BetDSI has been paying winners for over 20 years is a top-rated betting review site, and you can use your sports knowledge to make some extra cash, Corey. And you're pretty good at this. So I'm guessing you can make some money. It's got a great and friendly mobile interface, and it has the fastest payouts in the industry. And the coolest thing is BetDSI offers betting options for everything. You can bet on NFL, NBA, NHL, boxing, all other major sports, politics, reality TV, Esports and virtually anything. So try live betting at BetDSI where you can bet on games from start to finish. Every play, every minute till the end. And don't forget, 100% bonus match using promo code TAFFER101. That's double your many. It's only a game until you bet it on BetDSI. Man, we got some great comments from Tipsy Bartender last week. I thank you all for listening. What a cool guy, huh? So to think that, that you know he created this unbelievable $23 million deep social media world uh, just around cocktails and just around having fun because people don't really write the recipes down. I'm not sure they drink so many of the cocktails, but they love him. 
And so that was a great interview. It was really a lot of fun to have him. So keep an eye on Bar Rescue. Because Sky John is going to be doing recon on a Bar Rescue episode, and that is going to be a blast. So we've been having some fun. Also coming up on Bar Rescue, T-Pain is doing an episode in a couple of weeks with us, which will be fun. I know Jenny's coming back in a few weeks, Jenny McCarthy. She's going to do another one at some point this year. So it's a lot of fun having these guests on. Maybe I should get Little John back. What do you think, Corey? Oh, I think so. Yeah, Little John was a blast. It was fun to have Little John and Big John together in the same car, but he is one funny guy. So having people like this on Bar Rescue is an awful lot of fun. And and uh, uh, <laughs> if anybody has any ideas of who they'd like to see on Bar Rescue doing recons, put it, post it on social. Send me some notes. I'd love to hear your ideas. It's a lot of fun to put people on, especially people that you guys want to see. So let me know if there's anybody who you'd like to see on Bar Rescue. We were playing around with some quotes and I'm not quite sure what we're doing with these quotes. What are we doing with these, Corey? Well, I get a lot of questions online when I'm uh, monitoring your social media, and just people want a little more context just to, to explain a couple of your quotes. Ah, okay. So, so in essence, these quotes are, are sort of people want me to explain what the hell I meant. Right. Okay, well, let, me, let me see if I knew what the hell I meant <laughs> okay. when I said them. Nah. So the first one is, what is the one thing that 43% of men prefer over sex? Bacon. And that's when we were doing the bacon bar in Las Vegas. And when I'm doing uh, episodes like that, I'll often ask some of my producers to say, you know, do me a favor, go online, research bacon, find everything you can find out about bacon. And there was a report done, I believe it was at Stanford, if I'm not mistaken, but it was a major university, and 43% of men would rather have bacon than sex. Are you one of those men, Corey? No. No, I'm not one of those men. <laughs> I love freaking bacon, oh, too, yeah. but I'm still not one of those men. <laughs> so, so anyway, it was just that that was where that came from, and that was a real quote that wasn't off the top of my head. That was from a university uh, research study, and some of those research studies are fascinating. There's another one that comes to mind. There was a study done also, I believe, by Stanford, but it might have been another university, where they took M&Ms and they took 100 people in a controlled cocktail party type of environment. And they took the M&Ms and they separated them by color. So on one side of the room, there's a bowl of yellow M&Ms. You know, a few feet away is a bowl of green M&Ms. Then the blue M&Ms and red M&Ms. So they were all separated by color. Then they took another 100-person control group and they put the M&Ms mixed. Same amount of bowls, same locations, but rather than separated by color, the M&Ms were all mixed in assorted colors. Which group do you think consume more M&Ms, the ones sorted by color or the ones not? I'm going to go with not. No, right. with color. 28% more M&Ms were consumed when they were in assorted colors. Wow. So, you know, we take sciences like that in the restaurant and bar business tree and we'll start to apply it. And, you know, one of the simple things is people like to order three flavors. If you notice when you go to Asian restaurants, often they sell things in trios. You know, three-flavor shrimp, three this, three that. Okay. So what we do with chicken wings is we'll put them in three flavors. And when we start to multiple-flavor chicken wings, sales of those go up over 20%. So it's interesting. Assorted colors, assorted flavors, and assorted things tends to drive sales. Huh. So uh, that bacon is just one of many, many uh, uh, pieces of research and quotes that we do over the years. And, you know, I derive bioscience by studying human behavior. I study human behavior by, by looking at all these types of studies that are done around the country. For example, this one will get you, Corey. This study was done by the International Council of Shopping Centers. About 70% of people who walk into a mall make a right-hand turn. Huh. 
Wow. Yeah. Then you go to other countries in the world where they write right to left or top to bottom. They still make a freaking right-hand turn in the mall. So that means that if you have the store to the right of the entryway of the mall, you're going to make more money than a guy to the left. Wow. Retailers know that. Leasing agents know that. So they actually can charge more for the store on the right than the store on the right. So little behavioral things like this and understanding these sciences can really impact one's business. All righty. So next quote. Wow, I can't believe I said this. It was a pretty good one, actually. Challenges met are the scariest but are sometimes the most worthwhile. You know, it's interesting, Corey. When you do something that's scary, you sort of feel like it's a greater accomplishment when you're finished, right? Because not only was it the work that you accomplished, not only was it coming up with the idea that you accomplished, but you overcame a hurdle of fear when you did it. So to me, when you achieve an objective... And you overcame fear to achieve that objective. That adds another whole level of satisfaction to it. Not only did you achieve it, but you overcame the fear achieving it. So that's what I mean. The challenges met are the scariest, but sometimes the scariest ones are the most worthwhile in the way that we learn and feel about ourselves when we're done. All right, one more, Corey. The biggest lesson I learned in the bar business is to focus on revenues and dollars, not dimes. Sure. You know, a lot of people in, in a restaurant and a bar business, labor is expensive today. So a lot of labor now is going up to $15 minimum wage. And, and of course, that adds a huge cost to businesses that were historically paying 7 $8 an hour. So it's almost doubling their payroll cost. So in many, many cases, what a lot of these places are doing is they're starting to shave hours to get back the money, Corey, right? So if I'm spending more per hour, now I've got to cut back my hours. Yeah. So as an end result, customers aren't served as well, right? The experience isn't as good. So what they do is they focus on dimes. I want to save here. I want to save there. I'm going to get you thinner toilet paper. I'm going to get you less paper towels. I'm going to this. I'm going to that. I'm going to use ketchup in big cups rather than individual packets. They come up with everything they can to save dimes. But at the end, all they're doing is taking away from the customer. I think that's the wrong approach. I think that all that effort and time put into saving dimes could have been focusing on promotions, sales tactics, menu engineering, promotional items of food, food specials, shrimp month festivals, etc. All sorts of ideas and energies could have been applied to increasing sales by the dollar rather than expenses by the dime. And that's how I got successful. I'm a very top-line oriented guy. I know that if I can create revenue, revenue cures all, doesn't it? When sales are high, I got plenty of money for everything, Corey. So if there's anything I've learned in the bar business, it's focus on the revenues and the dollars much more than the dimes. Not that I'm saying burn the dimes because nobody can afford to, to throw their money away. But success is more in the dollars than it is the dimes. That's what I meant by that one. Okay, I'm going to do one more because you give me that look over there through the glass. Okay. A consultant is only as good as their last project. Boy, is that powerful. So, you know, when you're a consultant and you're good at what you do, your last project should be successful. If your last project was not successful as a consultant, that's something I would challenge greatly. Does it mean that they're out of touch with the marketplace? Does it mean that their execution was shallow or incomplete? Does it mean that the overall idea was wrong? Does it mean that the training was incorrect? I can start to challenge a whole bunch of things about that individual all because their last project sucked. But what if his last project was a home run, Corey? I'm not going to challenge any of those things. Yeah. So at the end of the day, a consultant is really only as good 
as their last project. And I think two people should take that into whatever it is that they do because it, it can go across the whole board. Of course it is. You know, we're only as good as our last podcast, buddy. Right. Because right? if the last one sucked, nobody's going to listen to the next one. So that's life. And, you know, that's part of reaction management, isn't it? When we're successful, we are, we're better managing the reactions of those around us, which is everything that I teach, whether it's in Don't B.S. Yourself, that book, or, or even my original book, Raise the Bar, which we never really talk about. But you know that Raise the Bar on Amazon got, I think, like a 4.9 with hundreds and hundreds of reviews. It's it, The ratings on that book are off the chart. So both books did really well, and, and Don't B.S. Yourself got good ratings too. But Raise the Bar is unbelievable. I can't believe how many reviews and how uh, high the ranking is on that book. So I love writing them. That's why I'm working on my new one, which I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, The Art of Conflict. Pretty deep, huh? Oh. So... You know, our Congress has been busy at work, Corey. You know that. Oh, I'm sure. Working all hours of the night to assure that our national days stimulate positive thoughts in our society. Things like today, right now, Corey, at this moment, as you are sitting behind that big board, <laughs> it is National Cheese Toast Day. It is National Linguini Day. That's a pretty good day. National Felt Hat Day. So it's got to be a felt hat, so ball caps are out. National Double Cheeseburger Day. Now, if I owned McDonald's or, or Burger, I'd be all over National Double Cheeseburger Day, wouldn't you? I'd be promoting the hell out of it. Right, yeah. I don't hear anybody promoting that, which is interesting. <laughs> National Creme de Mint Day. National Tackle Kids Cancer Day. That's a good one. Oh. Greens Peace Day. National Play-Doh Day. Cinnamon Raisin Bread Day. Working Parents Day. Mayflower Day. Is that the ship with the flower or? I don't know, National Professional House Cleaners Day, Apple Dumpling Day, Monte Cristo Day. I guess that's the sandwich. National IT Professionals Day is Thursday. Air Force Birthday is Friday. So we also have National Paw Paw Day, which is nice for doggies. National Butterscotch Pudding Day. Do you like butterscotch pudding? Yeah, it's all right. I love butterscotch pudding. Talk Like a Pirate Day is Friday. I like me. <laughs> Boy, that makes me think of the Pirates episode. Not a wonderful thought. Probably the most miserable week of my life was shooting the <laughs> Pirates a, episode of Bar Rescue. That was a rough one to watch. <laughs> oh, man. It was rough to watch. It was even rougher to be there. Right. And we finish this up with National Fried Rice Day, Pepperoni Pizza Day, National Punch Day, National Singles Day is this weekend. And, of course, da, 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 I'm going to finalize it with my home state, National New York Day. So that is our Congress at work, Corey, which is an amazing thing to me to think that, that uh, uh, all of these uh, uh, days were documents and files and hours in Congress and votes and remarkable thing how uh, um, all of this can happen and waste our time when they can't solve the simplest of crises before us. So this morning before I came here, you know what I did, Corey? What's that? I gave the keynote speech for the sales team for Constellation Brands. That's right. And Constellation Brands is the company that owns in the United States Corona, Modelo, uh, 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 and a few other beer brands. And, you know, it's interesting how the beer industry is down big time, right? Beer sales are down. The industry is, is not in its best days. Uh, there's a lot of companies, uh, uh, big companies, that are projecting market loss this year in beer. So very, very many beer brands are projecting, you know, negative growth. A lot of beer brands are concerned. They're contracting. They're cutting budgets. They're, but yet Constellation Brands Modelo is is like a rocket ship. You can't stop it. 
You know, Corona is a rocket ship. You can't stop it. And I always find it interesting how people could say, oh, beer sales are down, so we're down too. And that's what a lot of beer companies would say. But these guys, beer sales are down for the whole industry. Their sales are up. So, you know, there's a lesson to be learned when we look at companies. Great companies know how to succeed, even in difficult times. And when you look at a product like Modelo, which is doing so well in such a competitive place, uh, you think of the branding, the bottle, the positioning, the packaging, the marketing, the imaging, all the things that have to go right for somebody to say, I want to buy a Modelo. And to be able to do that in a down market is quite an accomplishment. So hanging out with these guys this morning was really cool, Corey, because they're energized. I mean, they're really pumped up. You know, they're kicking some butt over there. So congratulations to the Constellation team. That was really, really a lot of fun today. And we got a couple messages, don't we? We do. And I'll be right back with In the Dark. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Boy, Corey, to get your TV today, how many subscriptions do you have to have? Oh, man, way too many. It's ridiculous between the Hulos and the Netflix and cable and then satellite delivery services and HBO. By the time you're done, you have 20, 30 subscriptions and you're paying everybody just to watch TV. Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. I want to say it again. Free streaming television service. You can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all completely free. No credit card needed, no sign-up. Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies. What are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again. Download Pluto TV for free on all your favorite devices today. Shut it down! So now we took care of all the stuff that I wanted to do, Corey. So now here's my least favorite part of the show, the part of the show that you like to do, In the Dark. So the premise of this segment is that you, my audience, can send in audio clips. Corey will play those audio clips to me. I've never heard them before, right, Or? No, you have not. And he's going to try to play me, I guess, the most difficult, most offensive, whatever the hell he comes up with. I have no idea what's in his head sometimes. <laughs> but he's going to come up, and he's going to play me these clips, and I have to react to them in whatever way I choose to. I don't know what they are, who they're from, or what they're about. That's why I call this In the Dark. So you ready? I'm ready. All right, and luckily, you... you're, I'm in a good mood today. So. Oh, so I might get off light? <laughs> yep. Okay, let's see what you got, buddy. John Taffer, longtime fan. This is Ron in Aurora, Illinois. Just wanted to ask you, you've mentioned the Cleveland Clinic that you've been a board member now for a while. What does that entail? Because Dr. Karis Eng of the Genomic Medicine Institute, her team studies genetics, and if it wasn't for her team, I never would have thought to have my thyroid checked. And last October, I had thyroid cancer, so I am deeply indebted to her and her team. But I'm curious, what actually does a board member do? Thanks very much. Have a great day. That's a great question. So so uh, uh, here in Las Vegas, the Cleveland Clinic operates something called the Lou Ruvo Center for Brain Health. And uh, it's a facility that has some of the finest researchers focused on neurological disorders like Huntington's, Parkinson's, uh, uh, MS, Alzheimer's. And uh, we have a world-class facility here with uh, world-class researchers. We also see over 30,000 patient visits of people that are suffering from various neurological disorders, old, young, and everything in between, and none of them pay. So Cleveland Clinic is, is, I believe, the finest medical institution in the world. 
from a research standpoint and execution standpoint. So the Cleveland Clinic operates the Lou Ruvo Center for Brain Health. I'm on the board of the Cleveland Clinic as one who wants to make certain that the messaging and, and the imagery of good medicine gets out there. For example, and here's my point, and you might have experienced yourself because you live in Aurora, Illinois, uh, uh, medicine shouldn't always be local. You should go to where the best medical care is. And too often people go to a local doctor, and here in Nevada, uh, uh, the medicine is not the best in, this, uh, in the Las Vegas area. We don't have great neurological facilities until we open this. We don't have certain specialty hospitals and things in this city. So when people localize medicine, sometimes they localize or reduce their chance for recovery because they're not seeing the best of the best. Well, Cleveland Clinic is the best of the best. So for me, any time I can promote someone to go to a better doctor rather than a closer doctor, I think we all win. And, and that premise increases the skill of local doctors, too. So as a board member for Cleveland Clinic, I work on a lot of projects. I'm very focused on the Lou Rovo Center for Brain Health. I work on communication, sending out messaging. Uh, uh, I even work on uh, uh, getting research support, creating events, galas. Uh, anything that I can do to increase awareness of great medical care and cause people to go where the great medical care is, I think is a win-win for everyone. So that's what I do in working with Cleveland Clinic. And man, am I proud to do it. What an incredible group of people, in essence, making our world much, much healthier. All right, let's move on. Hey, John, my name is Brent. And my question is, just how difficult is it to not walk out on some of these bar owners that act like total or is this just something you're used to as you've dealt with it your entire career? I think you've done that on at least one episode, and if memory serves, you would have on a couple more, but you stayed for the staff. And it seems like every week when I watch, uh, the owners are acting like a jerk, and I just can't believe you have the patience not to walk out. So how do you do it, and have you ever done it, and your producers drag you back in to finish the episode? Oh, great question. First of all, my producers never drag me in to do anything, to be honest with you. I'm executive producer of the show. Nobody tells me what to do, where to go, what to say. It, is, it doesn't work that way. Bar Rescue, I'm executive producer, and we follow the story. And my show, from a production standpoint, is one of the most frustrating for producers to do because I don't even wear an earpiece in my ear. So, so they can't tell me where to go, what to say, what to do. When I go in, it's just all me, and whatever happens, happens. They don't even know where I'm going to stand half the time, so the cameras are running to catch up to me, and it's a very different kind of show. It works because it's real. It works because I don't let production lead me around. So, so it, it's a different kind of show. So what you're talking about actually is very, very real because the question is, do I stay or do I leave? A and... Um, I got to have a reason to stay. I certainly have a reason to leave in almost every episode. I could say you're a drunken fool. You don't care about your employees. You're too far in debt. Even your wife isn't supporting you anymore. I can always find a reason to leave in almost any bar rescue if you really think about it. But I have to find a reason to stay because I'm fighting for something, not against something. So if I go to a bar and the owner's a real jerk, you know, maybe his wife is wonderful and the children are wonderful and I'm fighting for the guy to keep his freaking home. Even though he's a jerk, I'm fighting for his family. In other cases, you know, the owner could be a jerk. I'm fighting for the staff. I don't want them to lose their job. I fought for the community when I did uh, the dugout in Chicago. It was a block from Wrigley Field. The Cubs were in a World Series. I wanted to build a great bar even though the guy was a jerk. So it isn't that I find a reason to leave. It's that I find a reason to stay. 
And when I did O-Face, uh, uh, which was in Council Bluffs, Iowa, there was no reason to stay. Even the employees didn't give me a reason to stay. And that was the first ever walkout, complete walkout on Bar Rescue. So my point is that there's always a reason to stay in almost every case. Very often it's I just want to give the employees an opportunity to keep their jobs. Many of them have been in these venues for years and years and years. So i got to find something to fight for. More often than not, it's not the owner. It's either employees, family, keeping their house or something else. Hey, John. Foodie Monster here. I love your show, Bar Rescue. And I'm really digging the podcast. When you record an episode of Bar Rescue, and it's the beginning of the episode when you're letting the bar owners really have it, and trying to bring out in them one thing or another to break the cycle. How authentic are you being? Are you, is this really how you are in real life if there were no cameras showing? Or are you really being theatrical, taking take after take until it's just worthy of the episode to make the episode exciting the previews exciting and interesting and drawing your audience in i just really wonder if maybe in my own uh endeavors whether it be social media my podcast that i'm starting what have you if i need to find a hook myself or if being myself may pay off like it is for you thanks john well first of all my suggestion would be to talk faster (laughs) because if you can talk faster on a podcast you know people will stay much more engaged when you talk slower like that those gaps will frustrate people and, and cause them to tune out so let me talk about bar rescue for a moment there's no retakes in bar rescue and here's why think about this i'm in this bar with these employees who work there they get angry at me. I get angry at them. If at any moment in time, if they think that I'm playing for the camera, they're not going to get mad at me, are they? Because it's all BS. They're going to laugh at me rather than get angry and come back at me. It all becomes bullshit. The minute I redo something, the minute I play the camera. What makes Bar Rescue successful is authenticity. And this doesn't make the episode, because I say it so often on camera, that I'll sell people all the time in Bar Rescue, quote, I don't give a about those cameras. This is me and you. We need to fix this place. Let's go to work. And that is the absolute truth. So there's no retakes. There's no scripts. There's no telling people to walk in another way about the only retake we have in Bar Rescue is when I go one, two, three, and turn them around. Sometimes I do it a second time for a wide shot. But uh, Bar Rescue and the trick to success is authenticity. You have to be yourself. So, sure, Corey, I can be a little emotional in the office, right? Oh, yeah. Right? So I can be pretty intense sometimes. Yeah, for sure. But you've never seen me throw anything in the office, have you? No. So my point is this. Bar Rescue takes what would normally take 30 to 60 days for me to do. Create a concept, design a bar, build it, open it, train everyone, get the product specified, etc. That's a 30 to 60 day project. In Bar Rescue, I have roughly 48 hours to do that until we go into construction and open it. That pressure is what makes me more intense. It isn't acting. 
It isn't working for the camera. It's none of that. It's the pressure that I don't have any freaking time. They have to listen to me now or I'm not going to make it. That's the pressure that drives the intensity that makes Bar Rescue work. And the reason why Bar Rescue works is because all of that is, in fact, real. And there you go. All righty. So those are my three I got off pretty easy, I think, this week. So those of you that want to do this, send me an audio clip. Where do they send it to, Corey? Podcast at johntafford.com. So make an audio clip on your phone, anything you want it to be. Send it to podcast at johntafford.com. Corey will listen to it. And if we air your clip, we will send you a free shut it down button and an autographed copy of my book, Don't Be Yes Yourself. So come on, guys. Come at me here a little bit. Send those clips. And I will be right back. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. To turn it up with your new favorite podcast, Expeditiously with T.I. here on Podcast One. Join the rapper, entrepreneur, family man, and activist as he bridges the gap and sheds light on important social topics and much more in an authentic, eyebrow-raising dialogue that might make you want to pull out your dictionary. So download new episodes of Expeditiously with T.I. every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. I am. Taffer's back. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. You know, through Bar Rescue, I've had uh, the opportunity to deal with a lot of professionals. And, you know, there's two sides of every person. There's their personal side and there's their professional side. There's few people I've ever worked with, actually, Phil, you're going to blush, in my whole career that I find more professional or likable than you are, buddy. <laughs> so it's wow. a pleasure to have Phil Wills here with me, and I know all of our listeners on this podcast know who you are, buddy, because they all have seen you on Bar Rescue. How many episodes have you done, Phil? Yeah, you know that's the age-old question, John. Um, honestly, for me, I stopped counting. You know, it's just um, it's a pleasure always to be working with you on the show. Um, but we've been together for some years, so you know, I, I've got to say I'm, I'm well over ten. Um, probably around the 20 mark, maybe just under that. Yeah, that's unbelievable to think about the fact that, that uh, uh, you've made 20 episodes of television. It's pretty amazing. No, it's great. I appreciate for the opportunity that you've given me. Oh, my pleasure. You know, uh, 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 when I first met Phil, it goes back to the Fridays days, right? It was the first time our paths crossed? Yeah, you know, it, it, was, it was back in the Fridays days, and it was actually when you were running nightclub and bar show. Um, and I don't think that you realize that you had met me at the time because I was, uh, you know, essentially just the beverage showrunner for your team. Um, but I remember sitting at a, at a dinner one, one time with you, it was a long table and there was probably 30 people, you know, those big, those big dinners that we always had back then. Yeah. Um, and that's when I first, you know, officially shook your hand and, and met you at that dinner, but that was back with the Fridays, the Fridays days. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's interesting. Uh, 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 my publicist, who who represents me now, Ron Hoffman, who you've met, of course, Phil. Mm-hmm. Ron used to represent NCB before I was on television, nightclub and bar convention. And I was president of the nightclub and bar convention. And this has gone back, Phil, what, 15 years, maybe 12 years or so. And oh, yeah. uh, I told Ron Hoffman, who was my publicist for the nightclub and bar convention, but he was an L.A. publicist, so he did celebrities and stuff, too. I said to him, listen, I'm doing this TV show. And he always tells the story that back in his mind, oh, God, I've heard this a million times, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, and now he works for me. But, you know, it's funny. Back in the early days when Bar Rescue started, a lot of people in the industry sort of turned up their nose at us and, uh-huh. you know, sort of laughed it off. 
Did you hear that stuff in those days? Oh, a hundred percent. You know, it was, uh, you know, it's kind of weird. It's, it's crazy how our worlds collided, but I definitely heard about your show before it came out. And, you know, for myself initially, I'd been watching, you know, reality TV pretty much all, all my life. It's been in and out. But when the chefs all came out um, with all their reality shows, I, I sat there for a long time and just, you know, racked my brain. Why isn't there a show about bars? You know, there's so much exciting things that happen in the bar. Um, yeah, as you know, just from the owners to the bartenders. And I just I didn't understand why there wasn't a show. So, you know, when you finally launched your show and it came out. Um, you know, I was sitting right there in front of the TV waiting for episode one to, to air. And um, I saw it and I was like, this is going to be a hit. This is 100 percent going to be a hit. Um, but ironically, you know, in our industry, there's it, it's such a vast industry as far as styles of bartending and, and the profession itself that a lot of professional bartenders kind of look down on the show, um, which I thought was really strange in the beginning. Yeah, you know, it's interesting sometimes if I would make a comment uh I remember I made a comment years ago to some media that, you know, uh, um, if a guest isn't served, you know, after a period of time, it's not unreasonable for them to call the bartender. And the whole bartending world just freaked out on me. <laughs> and, and sometimes people forget that, you know, I'm not a bartender. I'm a manager. I come out of the management side of the business. You know, I attended bar when I was a kid. But where did you grow up, Phil? Uh, I grew up in California uh, in my early years, but high school and through college, I was in Vermont on the East Coast. And then I came back to California and in California is really where I got my bartending chops. Because have you always been disciplined when you were younger? It's a weird thing. You know, I, I grew up with a single mom, so I didn't have a father. So, you know, as far as that type of discipline was never there. But I mean, quite honestly, I always strive for greatness. And when I got my first bartending job, it was with TGI Fridays. And as you know, way back in the day, you know, it took me four weeks just to get through their training. It wasn't just a, a couple of days, go behind a bar and now serve drinks. I mean, it was yeah. serious business. Now, in I those days, there was not a company in the world with a better mixology program than Fridays. No, I, I think people, yeah, I think people tend to forget that. Um, but I had to learn 350 drinks written down test before I could even step behind the bar. So it was that kind of program um, that Fridays used to have, which I think really molded me to, to have my standards in place and my discipline in place because it was something that I had to strive for. It wasn't just given, for, given to me. So, so uh, it's interesting you know, that you grew up without a dad, and my dad died when I was two, so I, I had mm -hmm. similar you know, challenges in life. Do you think it caused us or you to, to mature more quickly? You know, I, I think so. You know, I think, um, you know, you experience as well, but you have to become a man a lot quicker. And I didn't have a father figure in my life uh, for a very, very long time. So it caused me to grow up a little bit quicker, to be a little bit more disciplined and to really, you know, provide not only for myself, but as much as I could for my family along the way. Was there a point in your life when you said, wow, I really love this, you know, mixology. I really want to do this with my life. Did that hit you or was it more of an evolutionary path? At what point did your passion come? Well, I tell you, you know, I, I think that for myself, I, I originally got into bartending because of, you know, the money was great. And I love the entertainment aspect of it, of, you know, being behind the bar, being on stage, being able to be around people. Um, but never in my life did I think it was going to be a career path for me. And the evolution just kind of took hold because 
every single day I would step behind the bar, I would give 110%. Um, it's something that I would go to bed thinking about and I wake up thinking about. And I had no idea that it was kind of molding me to, to be where I am today. So it was more of an evolution. I don't think there was one point in time of saying, this is what I want to do. But what I really loved was just being behind the bar, being able to shake people's hands, seeing that smile on their face. And I really grasped the hospitality piece of bartending more than anything else. And that's really what, what kept me in the business for so long. Yeah, but you also, you, you have a great connection with people, obviously, Phil, you know, that, that's, that's a great forte of yours. But you also have an equal passion for ingredients and, and product and, and what you produce and such. Did that come later? Was it the people that got you into the business, then the product started to grow, or was it vice versa? No, it was definitely the people got me into the business, and, and the product kind of, kind of helped me grow. Um, again, you know, back in the day when I first started bartending for a corporate chain, which a lot of people kind of, you know, turn their nose up to now. But, you know, back in the day, we were using all fresh ingredients. I, I would spend an hour or two prepping my bar and prepping all the mixes, prepping all the fruits and garnishes and everything, all the syrups, all that stuff. Um, and as time progressed and the recession hit and we started to have to, you know, kind of use pre-batch things or pre-mixed things and, you know, we we're cutting labor here and there, um, that kind of started to go away. But I really found that again when I got to California and I started working in the mixology world. Um, and what that did for me was it just opened up a whole nother avenue of what bartending is. Um, and one thing I always talk to people about is, you know, no matter what, you're still tending bar, whether you're in a nightclub, you're in a dive bar, whether you're in a, you're in a high-end craft mixology bar, the term bartending is tending bar. So, you know, all you have to do is make sure that you're doing that to the best of your ability, but it is always about the people that walk into your bar. It's never in my mind about the cocktail, you know, what's in the glass all the time. It's always about the people that are coming into your restaurant because they can literally go, you know, down the block to another bar and they get great service. They love the people behind the bar and that's where they'll sit and they'll drink their whiskey and their light beers um, and not really care about having a craft cocktail. Yeah, it's really true. You know, what's interesting is, and I know you agree with this because you've heard me say it before, we really don't make drinks. We make reactions. We achieve it through drinks, right? Mm -hmm. And we don't build bars. We create reactions. We achieve it through, you know, the interiors that we build. And, and you know, we don't serve people. We sort of create reactions while we serve people. Absolutely. And I've always said that, you know, our product isn't food or beverage. Our product is the reaction, you know, sure. the food and the beverage and the service and the environment, all those things are just vehicles to create that reaction. And he or she who creates the biggest reactions wins. And, and you know, I think you've mastered that, buddy, in, in, in the work that you do. So I got a couple of funny questions for you. Sure. Okay. So Phil Wills loves this business, passionate as hell about it, is one of the greatest trainers I've ever worked with, who has very, very high standards, comes to Bar Rescue and sees the worst shit imaginable. <laughs> How frustrating was it for you to walk in those situations in your early days? It was, it, it, in the early days, it's still frustrating to me. As you know, you know, we, whenever we work together, we get extremely frustrated, you know, watching what goes, goes on behind these bars. But I remember the early days just mind-blowing to me that a business can function, a business could run. You could sit behind the bar and call yourself a bartender and not, check all the boxes that really make what a great bartender is. And, you know, I, I, I've said this before, if I had hair, I'd be pulling it all out, you know, on the show because <laughs> it, it's just, it's, it's mind blowing um, what's out there and what we see. 
when when um we do bar rescue and, and now we've made you know i've made 185 of them phil which is unbelievable we just wow. signed for 28 more for next year so we're going to cross the record books and reality show why do you think people watch it from well, an insider you, view yeah because you know more about it you know just about as much about that show as i do yeah it's um you you've the the, the I really think that what you've developed is is just a great formula, and you know it is it is about saving the bar, and you talk about this more than often, but it is it, it's more about saving a relationship, um, and there's always some sort of relationship within that bar that's causing it to fail, and you know every once in a while we'll we'll come across a a staff that it's actually the bartenders that are bringing the business down and the owners doing everything they possibly can and their hands are tied, um, but but generally speaking. I think why people view each and every week, they know it, they know the platform, they know what's going to happen, but it's these characters or, or these people that are in these situations. I think the viewing public is just as shocked to see that this is really going on, and it makes them think twice about walking into their local bar and 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 having a cocktail because they see what is happening behind the scenes. They see how dirty some of these places are, so it's the shock and awe that this is still happening within our industry, even with, you know, your show being on Bar Rescue for the last, what is it, seven, eight years now? Eight, yeah. Eight years, you know, and 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 people just can't watch a TV show and say, okay, we do that at our bar and that's the wrong thing to do, let me change that. They, it seems like they just don't care. It, it's mind-blowing to me. Do you think we've made the industry better or worse? You know, I remember when I when I first had the opportunity to get on your show and a lot of bartender friends around me were saying, hey, don't you know, don't let our secrets out. Don't tell our secrets. And, you know, I really didn't know what to expect at that point. And what I've realized is that any secrets that I thought that we had, they weren't really secrets. Everybody really knew about them. And I really, truly feel that the show has made the industry better. And when I look at the industry as a whole, again, there's all different styles of bartending. Have we made the, the highest high-end craft bars better? I don't think we've done that because they've already, they already know what they're doing. They understand how to run a business. They understand cocktails and balance and how to create a great cocktail. Where I do see is where the majority of bars in America is in you know, Middletown, USA. Um, it's the, the smaller local bars. I feel like those places have done better um, in general. And I've been contacted, and I know you have as well, but I've been contacted by numerous bars of people saying, hey, we watch your show all the time. We are now doing better than we were last year just because we watched the show. So there's, there's a, and, a proven track record from people that have contacted me, you know, whether it's uh, on a DM or a private message that just said, hey, we love the show. Thank you guys for what you guys do. We are doing better than we were last year because of your show. So, you know, there's just it's proof out there that I feel like we've made the industry better as a whole. Yeah, boy, those are the best emails to get to, aren't they, buddy? They are. They are. Yeah. Those are the ones I get a reply. <laughs> so you just made a step a couple years ago that so many people are scared to make. And I want to talk about it for a moment. You know, you were an employee. You did very, very well as an employee. You You came to the top of your game as an employee. And at some point, you said to yourself, I'm going to take the risk and I'm going to go out and I'm going to start my own business. And so many people feel when they reach that stage in their life, when they're going to make that step. And by the way, freshly married. Mm -hmm, can, yes. I say, can, can I say what's coming? Oh, yes, please do. Oh, okay. 
uh, uh, recently married. Phil has a baby on the way. Yes, now, yes, yes. There's, there's, there's a lot of things that people would say, wait a minute, I'm getting married. This is not the time to start my own business. You know, that's, that's too risky. You know, an excuse, Phil. Then next, oh boy, I got a, a baby coming. I can't take it. I got to, I got to, no, I need the, the, the benefits of a job. And, and so all of the things that are going on in your personal life, you could have used as excuses to hold back your professional life, but you didn't. Mm, mm. Yeah, you still you still stepped and took that big step. And, you know, on this podcast, Phil, I talk a lot to people about, you know, entrepreneurs that don't take those steps and that every day in life that that people don't make the steps that you did. It's less likely that they'll make them the next day. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So so, so how did you do that? Did, did you have moments of fear and talk about that transition in your life? Because, you know, I think the listeners really, really would appreciate anything from you that, that would inspire them to possibly make that move. So obviously it's scary because you're leaving a situation that you're very secure in, right? You're loved in employment and all of that. So was it scary for you? Oh yes, man. It was, uh, it was, it was a, it was a tough road to, to travel through. It was very scary. There was many times when I wanted to just, you know, throw my hat in and say, I'm done with this. Let me get back into being an employee because of security. Um, you know, you got to take risks in life and, and you don't have to take foolish risks, but you have to take risks in life. There's no other way that you're going to advance. Um, nothing's going to be given to you and, and you have to really go out there and want it. And it was a point in my life where I was, again, you know, I was behind the bar making great drinks and, you know, making really good money. And I loved what I did. And I just, you know, in my mind, it was like, okay, what's next? I need to go further with this. I, I attended bar for over 12 years, John, you know, and, and yeah. trust me, I love it. And I, I, I high five and shake everybody's hands that continue to do it, you know, and they're professional about it. And it's a great career. I just really wanted to do something a little bit more. I wanted to be my own boss. You know, I have that entrepreneurial spirit um, within me. So there was definitely a point in time when um, myself and my business partner, uh, we just kind of looked at each other. He was a bartender as well. And, and we had already started our consultancy, but, you know, our jobs were coming very sparsely, maybe one or two a year. So we still had to hang on to our bartending jobs. Um, we made a conscious decision that we said we have to get from behind the bar, stop doing this and put all of our time and energy into building our business. Because if we don't do that, nobody else is gonna do it for us. And we had to devote true time and energy into doing that. So you know, we, we both quit our respective bartending jobs. We uh, made a business plan. We created our business as being a marketable business. We can go Hold out on, there. I'm gonna stop you for a second. Sure. So you stopped your job and then you wrote a business plan. Talk about that for a second. You know, the, it, it's a business plan and and it's a plan. It doesn't mean that it always works out the way that you initially, you know, write it up. But we had to have something on paper that we could look at and say, what's our next, our next, you know, step? What are we trying to achieve in our one, two, three year goals? And what are we looking at? Um, what we want to achieve long term? So the business plan that we wrote was immediate. What are our immediate goals that we know we can we can attain right now? What are we looking at? Where are we looking to be at in a year from now? And it was. The reason we wrote it this way in smaller steps is because we wanted to have what we called smart goals, that they were achievable um, along the way so we can kind of give ourselves pats on the back along the way and keep that motivation moving forward. 
That's that's strong. So 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 many entrepreneurs don't do that step, Phil. Right? They just jump out there and they sort of wing it. So mm. when you guys went into it, you and your partner had agreed really on what your plan was. You both got to provide input into that plan. You both had ownership of the plan. You both agreed on the risk associated with the plan. You guys were synced. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And we held each other accountable for it as well. You know, which so, is really important. So, so really, that plan and, and that linking of you and your partner and, and really giving you a concise view of what the next year would look like, et cetera, that sort of gave you the confidence to make the step in a sense, I'm guessing. It, the confidence and the strength, absolutely. You know, there, it's, it, it's nice to have a plan to follow. And if you're not given that plan, again, creating that on your own, but absolutely, it gave us the confidence once we had that plan. You got to have a plan. But the beauty of it is once you had the plan and you and your partner looked at it and said, you know what, we can achieve this. It's conservative enough. We have the ability. We have the contacts. We can make this happen. That's when it became practical to move forward because you knew what you were moving into. Make sense? Yeah. No, that's really powerful. Okay. So you guys finished your plan. Then uh, 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 did you have a client yet? I'll tell you what, our first client, which really kind of uh, springboarded us, was um, we had we had bid on an international uh, restaurant opening, and it was for a major brand, Fleming's uh, Prime Steakhouse. They were opening their. You went down to South America. We went down to yeah, South America. We went down to Brazil, and we were down there for three months. Wow. Um, So you know, and again, just it started off with our plan. We knew that we had to land a major client. That was that was number one. We had to show our show our worth to the world out there. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we kept pushing, pushing, going to conferences, meeting people, shaking hands, you know, really doing the, the, the footwork and the groundwork to really yeah. get to where we wanted to be. And through that and through our networks, we are we're, you know, offered or a, an opportunity to submit a proposal to go down and do this opening. And John, up until this point, I had already done, I would say, a hundred different openings with, you know, TGI Fridays and Hard Rock Cafes and, you know, all those brands. Um, But this was different. This was a a very successful American steakhouse going down to Brazil, and Brazil is known for their steaks. (laughs) Yep. Uh, So that was a big challenge. And not only training what an American-style bar tending is, but breaking that language barrier at the same time. Mm. It, was, it was incredible because in Brazil, the style of bartending is you sit back, you wait, people come up to the bar, order a drink, they get their drink and they walk away. It was amazing to me when we first touched down in, in Brazil that we saw that nobody was sitting at the bar top. Everybody was always sitting in seats. Right, to so, walk away bars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the whole goal was to to create that bar atmosphere that American American bars tend to have, which is a big challenge. Um, it, it was a, a phenomenal experience. One thing I learned was that you know the language of bar can translate to any language. So we didn't necessarily have to speak Brazilian pro- Portuguese when we were down there. Although I did learn it in the three months I was there. Um, you know, but shaking a cocktail, pouring a cocktail, straining, tasting. Um, balance, ingredients, measurements, you know, those all things were universal languages that we were able to um, communicate with them. Just like smiles, <clears throat> body yeah. language, you know, yeah. pace, all those things translate in any language or mm-hmm. any culture. Mm-hmm. So Bar Rescue is pretty popular down there. 
it is actually it is um which is which is great because i remember i had done i think maybe two or three episodes before i had gone down there and the whole staff knew bar rescue they had seen maybe me once or twice on them so they're really excited um you know really excited about the show and i, I haven't seen it yet but i'd love to see it um the international version with the voices dubbed um into brazilian uh, portuguese it's funny they they do have it. It's in five languages now. So you haven't seen yourself dubbed yet. Not yet, no. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll, I'll say I have an Italian clip, uh, oh, uh, no. actually, because I don't get them all myself. Even it's amazing. I'm not even sure where the, where the hell the show is is airing. People would <laughs> think that I would know these things, but you really don't. There's agencies that sell international, you know, and they sell it to stations. I know we're on about 3,700 stations now. In either wow. four or five languages, but the Italian one is funny because the show has a completely different name. Mm. It's it's like "Man Who Can Help a Bar" or something <laughs> like that is the way it literally translates. But what's what's fun, Phil, is watching you in Italian is sort of fun. Watching me in Italian is sort of fun. But watching the employees cry in Italian is, is oh wow. Real- fun because since they're dubbing everyone they have to dub the crying too (laughs) (laughs) that's great that's sort of the funny part of it so you know so so now you start your company you got a great company now filled with a great reputation and and i'll let everybody know this you know our taffer's tavern has taken off and we've sold territories all over the country and we haven't even opened our first unit which is now opening in atlanta and when I said to myself, look, you know, I, I know everybody in this beverage space and I can hire anyone to help me create the cocktail program for Taffer's Tavern. Tell them who I called, Phil. You, you actually literally gave me a call. And I did. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm extremely honored. You know, again, I know I've, I've expressed my gratitude to, towards you, um, you know, with it all. But I'm, I'm honored, but I'm, I'm so excited about Taffer's Tavern. I'm excited to jump in this with you because you've been in this business, you know, 30 plus years and you've done everything from, you know, A to Z. And I know that this is going to be something that's epic, that is going to change the casual dining, um, you know, as we know it, the casual dining, you know, eateries and bars as we know it with Taffer's Tavern. And I'm just, I'm blessed to be a part of it. Uh, Well, I'm excited, buddy. So, So when I went out and looked for the best Phil, I, I came to you, and, and there's something about you. You know, you, you, you're, and I don't want the audience to read wrong into this because you're a really fun guy, and we, and you and I laugh a lot together. Yeah. But you're, you're a serious dude. You uh, know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, you know, when it is, comes this... to your work, you're a serious guy. I mean, you're not screwing around, buddy. And, yeah. and, and you know, your reputation and everything you do means so much to you. That's why I'm so proud to associate with you, Phil. I appreciate so, that. So, so when did you actually start the business? How many? What was the actual official date of the beginning of the business? The beginning. Or when of you left your jobs, let's put it that way. What was the date you guys left your jobs? It was in two or yeah, two thousand and eleven is when we left our jobs. So okay. you've been doing this now for eight years. Yeah. Right. Yep. And you're making a good living. Yeah, I'm making a great living. You, and you get to travel the world. Get to travel the world. All my bills are paid. I have I have money, <laughs> you know, expendable income. Um, able to obviously settle down, which is is very grounding and is the best decision I made to to marry my wife, um, and to to have a have a child. You know, to kind of yeah. continue that legacy and leave something behind in this world that's good. 
So when you look back at your life as an employee with the stability and the comfort and all that you had, you woke up in the morning, you drove to work that night, you drove home. You weren't on and off airplanes all the time, right? You didn't have to worry about where's the next contract. It was a very different life. Mm -hmm. Is there any way you'd give up your entrepreneurial life? Uh, no way. There's, there's, I, couldn't, I couldn't even imagine being happy in life and not having the life that I have right now. And I'm sure that there's you know, things I could have done that would, you know, still kind of, uh, make me happy, but I couldn't see myself doing anything different. It's been, it's been a tough road and it continues to be tough. It doesn't all of a sudden get easier. You know, if you start to become complacent with where you're at, then you're going to lose. You always have to be grinding. You always have to be pushing forward. You always have to be making positive movement in life in general. But, you know, in business, if you're starting your own business and you're an entrepreneur, do not get complacent with where you're at. You have to keep moving. You have to keep trucking along. And I've learned that from a lot of mentors, you being one of them, is you're always looking for that next opportunity. You're always looking for that, that next um, you know, thing that you could do to kind of sink your teeth in and, and keep moving forward. It's all about forward progress. It is. And that's, that, that's sort of a day-by-day -day thing, though. I mean, tomorrow you're going to make progress tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And you're going to make tomorrow pay off. And then the next day and the next day. And sometimes people, you know, think of it too long term. Sometimes people think of it too short term. You know, I think that, that the balance that you have, and it's a good one, is you got your plan. You know where you're going to a year from now, three years from now, five years from now. But the fact of the matter is you, you are at the end of the day doing it one day at a time. And you make every freaking day count, buddy, you do. Yeah, yeah. And you, and you have to. You know, it's, it's the only way that you're going to achieve those goals. And I'll be quite honest. There's days that you, you don't have your best days and you feel like you, you didn't quite do as much as you could, but I always say just wake up the next day and do a little bit better than you did the day before. And if you can continue on that path and just do a little bit better, I'm going to wake up five minutes earlier and I'm just going to get ready a little bit earlier. That's a goal. That's an achievement. You've done something better than you did the day before. And that just starts to add up. And they sure keep adding does. up on it. You know what I mean? It just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And that's, that's the driving force. That's the excitement around it. It is. When one great day just, you know, arms you for a better day tomorrow, it's so freaking invigorating, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So when I travel out there around the country, I feel that the economy is better and there's more opportunity out there and people seem to be uh, not politically less stressful, but financially less stressed and things mm -hmm. feel better. Do you agree with that? I do. I do. Yeah. And especially, you know, where we've come from, you know, I would say 10 years ago, even, um, you know, our country was in, was in a hard place. It was difficult. And I do see that what you're seeing out there, you know, obviously you travel around a lot. I travel around a lot and I'm seeing a lot more smiles. People are, are they have a little bit more money in their pocket and they're just feeling a little bit better about themselves these days. So would you agree with me that a great time for somebody to take that entrepreneurial step is right now. You know that absolutely. If if you're if you're out there, if you're listening and and you have some ideas, you have some thoughts. There is no time better than the present. It, you, there's nothing to be waiting for. You know, if you wait, there's always going to be an excuse of why it's not a good time. So you know, right now the the economy is doing well. I know you know we can get into the economics of, of of America and people are worried about a recession coming up, but we're not in it right now. There, we're in a great place right now. So if you're kind of thinking about doing something, it's a great time to do it. It is, it is, and I think that's really the message. And you know, think about it, Phil. You have a B two B company, a business to business company. 
You don't sell anything to consumers per se. Obviously, mm-hmm. your cocktails are, but but per se, you're in a B two B business. You're in a business where you're 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 producing one little sector of an industry, and you've built a wonderful career around it. People need to learn. You don't have to sell the most popular thing in the world to wonder a good life. B two B businesses are wonderful businesses, Phil. I've been in a business to business world my whole life, consulting, right. et cetera. So. Every idea you have doesn't have to be a consumer idea. It can be a great business-to-business idea, supporting other businesses, helping other businesses start, supporting teams and processes of businesses. My point is this. There's so many different kinds of opportunities out there now. Mm-hmm. When you take a look at everything that's going on today, and I saw uh, and, and watched uh, some powerful interviews and articles on robotics, Phil, yeah. and where automation is going, and I've read numbers that up to 40% of jobs can disappear in the next 10 to 12 years because of automation. That's how horrifying it is. Wow. And how our tax codes today reward companies for investing in equipment that in the end of the day replaces an employee. Mm. So companies are incentivized today to automate. They're incentivized uh, uh, indirectly to eliminate employment by automation. So as wonderful as employment and all these opportunities are today, this is a bubble that at some point jobs are going to be lost. And at some point, Phil, there's going to be computer bartenders. Heck, we had one in the episode I did last week in Bartender Smart Bar. Make 1,700 drinks at the push of a button. Right. And it's not it's not much bigger than a small desk. Mm. So, so in today's world, we can't rely on that employment job today as much as we can rely on ourselves, Phil. And what you learned is that you can rely on yourself and that you yourself can find a business. You yourself can build a great business. So you're not depending upon anyone else for your future anymore. You control your destiny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So my point to everyone is this. Put together the plan like Phil and his partner did. Know where you're going, what you're doing. Have a great partner who's a contributor. Make sure you guys sync up like, like you and your partner did, Phil. Sure. And don't wait. If you feel a passion for it, this is a great time to do it. And Phil, you're a great story for everyone. You know how you've come up in this business, mastered it, left a very comfortable position with a lot of security to go pursue your own career, built a great company, a great reputation. And every person who's listening to me, if they fight for this, could accomplish the same. You agree? I agree 100%. I always say, you know, you have to find what you're passionate about and, and, and make it your practice. And then it becomes a purpose, you know, just, just really work hard for it, but find out what, what that, what burns inside of you, what your passion is, and then, and then put it into, into action, you know? Yeah. And if we can figure out how to make money doing what it is that we love to do, boy, it gets no better than that. It absolutely does not. (laughs) Phil, this was a pleasure, buddy. It's always great to have you. You're actually one of my first ever second time guests because when I did the live podcast Mm. for for Operation Puerto Rico, remember you came on, we did the comedy club in LA that time. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. So, so, so you are the only, I think there's one other person who's been on twice. So, so, uh, uh, (laughs) <laughs> Congratulations, buddy. You are in the no excuses record book. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I made the record book. <laughs> anyway, good to talk, buddy. We'll talk to everybody soon. So one last question before I go, because I hate when people post this stuff. Sure. Have you ever seen anything scripted on Bar Rescue? <laughs> yeah. 
No, man. It's uh, it, it always I always get a chuckle out of it because everybody that talks to me about it says, oh, we know, you know, it's scripted. You know, how much of that is, is real and how much is fake? And I, I always go back to the first time I was ever on the show. I asked the producer, I said, how do you want me to act? And he looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to act? He said, I just want you to go out there and be yourself and we're going to film it all. And that was literally my first episode seven years ago or six years ago. And to this day, I know that whenever I'm on your, I'm on your show, Bar Rescue, all I have to do is go out there and be myself. There's nothing that's ever scripted. And you're going to have the haters. You're going to have the trollers out there. But I can't, I, I can't speak enough about it that the show is not scripted. The people are actually that way. They're that crazy. The shit is crazy on the show. <laughs> um, it's all real. And I'm mind blown every single time I land, I land on an episode and we sit in that SUV and we're doing the recon and I'm literally shocked and awe at what is going on behind that bar in that restaurant. You know, it's funny for, I often tell people you couldn't write this stuff if you wanted to, <laughs> No, no, <laughs> I mean, not. who the hell would come up with this stuff? Like some producer in the corner. And then the other funny thing about it is how do you go to, to wherever the hell we go, you know, Grand Prairie, Texas or wherever and find actors who could act like that. Right. right? Where, right. where do you find people? I'm going to pull you on the street. You're going to, you're going to take a bath in a sink and you're going to do it believably. <laughs> how do you do something like that? So, the premise that it's fake is more ridiculous logically than it being real anyway. But I had to ask you, buddy, because you're one of the only other people other than me and my crew that knows it. Mm -hmm. So I had to corner you and had you say it for me. <laughs> I, always, man, always. <laughs> so where can people find you, Phil, on your website, et cetera? Yeah, you can find me at uh, my website is thespiritsemotion.com. Go ahead and check that out. That's, that's my business. And then all the social media platforms, just type in Phil Wills. Um, and you'll see me up there with my 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 hat on and my vest or tie, you know, but you'll be able to find me. Phil Wills on social media platforms and the spiritsinmotion.com is my website. Great. And you should follow Phil because it's a lot of fun. He does some fun posts and such. Anyway, great to talk to you, buddy. Appreciate you, John. Thank you. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. You know, I wanted to have Phil back on his podcast because I think his story means something. You know, guys, there's a million bartenders out there. There's a million, quote, mixologists out there. And the fact of the matter is Phil just got really good at what he did, had the courage to start a business, put a really good plan together with a great partner. Look at what he's accomplished. He's in the top of his game now. Any of us can do that. When you think about how competitive the bar and bartender world is, if Phil can do it in that noisy environment, you can probably do it in an environment too, and you could be that entrepreneur. So the lesson for me about talking to Phil is the fact of the matter is if you're good at what you can do and you really are committed to doing it well, then maybe you should do it for yourself. Thanks for listening to No Excuses with John Taffer on Podcast One. Download new episodes every Tuesday here on PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, and at Apple Podcasts. Make sure to rate and review. 